to another episode of Captain yeah. Says episode I don't know we've done just so millions of shows I can't even remember and it's the podcast that you can't find anywhere because when you talk on a show that has a lot of downloads and you say where can people find Captain Says your response was I don't know <laughs> Seth Everett iTunes <laughs> one of the guys on Peach and Black says to you hey is the show on iTunes you're like I don't know I just put it on a website, it goes somewhere. And that's it. And that's that's it. all I know. That's all I know. I put it on the internet and things just happen. I don't know how it works. I think <laughs> this is like, this show has become like the DVD commentary about Peach and Black. <laughs> behind the scenes. <laughs> behind the scenes. Oh, if you oh, only well, saw behind the scenes. The sure. Purple Rain Deluxe review. Disc 2 Review Part 2 that we just put out. No, it was a huge undertaking. It, you guys did a, a, a good job. I couldn't do it. I mean... Uh, it, was, it was long. It was funny. It was just... You know, you know our mutual friend uh, in the Prince world, uh, Chris Johnson, great kid yep. from uh, Minnesota, great guy. He yeah, does you went on his show. I saw well, that. He, yeah, but he does a podcast. I did. I, I didn't Purple know. Purple Yes, and he does it. And uh, he he texts me one day and he says, "Hey, can you come on for a little bit?" So I didn't know what he wanted, but I, I'm happy to talk to him. I think the world of the kid. I, like I think he is such a good heart and he's such a good guy. He bid on the spreecast. He was such a nice dude. So I go on, and I didn't know, but he had already planned a track-by-track review. I don't even think I heard half the songs. <laughs> and so the, my whole argument, and I said this to you the last time you and I did a show, my whole argument was, I just want to know the story behind it. You know, whenever you watch a DVD or a Blu-ray of something and you see deleted scenes, the director always says why they cut it. You know, they cut this yeah. time, they cut this because it didn't advance the plot. Like, they always have a story. And yeah. all I want to know is the story behind these songs. You know, not just what Prince Fault says. And, you know, Prince Fault, for people listening, does an amazing job catalog- cataloging uh, an entire career of work. But that's the gospel now? That suddenly becomes the Bible? And all I'm saying is if you have something that's called an official release, don't you owe it to your audience to do your due diligence? Yeah, if you're talking about like the mistakes in that book, that was not good. But the Apart mistakes... from not having all this extra information that people want, the mistakes were just, you know, that's... Floppy. I don't, you know, it's a strong word to say unforgivable, but it basically is. It's like, it's not hard to get this stuff right. Well, you just kind of wonder, like, I, you know, I do, a, I, I own these two podcasts, right? And I am meticulous with the words that I put to describe them. I don't make hardly any money on them. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that hard. Warner Brothers makes a fortune. And yeah. all I'm saying is just pay attention to detail. Like, that, that's, that's, all, that's all I think I'm asking. Like, it's, it's kind of amazing. And, you know, the, the other thing I thought that you would have an opinion on is, uh, and you and I have talked about it in the past, just the amount of people that blindly say that whatever the estate does is right. Oh, when, man. When he didn't ever ask for them to be in charge. As a matter of fact, there's a really good probability 
that he went out of his way to not have them be in charge. Uh, see, I was going to say one thing, but then the last thing you said made me think something else. I don't I, think the people who are in charge now are the people who he wanted to be in charge. Correct. But on the other hand, whether he never thought about you know the outcome or not, he never made a will that we know of. So, you know, whether he thought, if I don't do a will, who's going to, you know, what's going to happen, but that's, that's how it goes now. I think, I don't, I don't think the people who were there now running things are who he, if he ever thought about it, who he wanted to be doing these things. And I'm not saying, you know, to, to walk, you know, and follow whatever lead they have, you know, if they're having a, a celebration and support it, you know, I mean, I'm not saying don't be involved, but their word is not the gospel either. You know, yeah. you saw that uh, another thing on social media that uh, that woman, uh, Ronchelle uh, Nelson is her name, and she was a tour guide at Paisley Park who got fired for taking a picture. She and like eight friends did like a pyramid off hours, like not during a tour or anything like that, off hours, and they took a picture and they put it on social media and they, they fired her. And I said, who are these scumbags? This is a person, this is a person who's been a Prince follower who's been on all the shows, who follows all the stuff, who does everything. It was her life's dream. She moved to Minneapolis to work for Paisley Park. And all I say to them is, why would you give Paisley Park a dime? Who are you giving it to? All I know about that particular story like, is I'm sure there's more to the story than we know. I don't think we've heard that's all fine. the things that happened that's behind fine. that. But that's what I'm saying about rushing to judgment. Like, What's to say that, that like, who is... People, I think, are searching for something to hang on to, and they want to know that his legacy moves on somehow. And what they don't have is they don't have the capabilities to properly identify. Identify, yes. And I have this theory, and no one, I'm not saying it's true, I just have a theory. I think there was a will. I think it was not filed. I think he changed it so often, because I think that if you ask Maite... Or Manuela Testolini, if you ask them if there was a will, there was. Because he filed divorce documents. Yeah. Now, whether he changed it every time and he wanted to put uh, the Weltons in his will and he wanted to put uh, the, the Donna Grantis in his will or, or Jester in the will or Funkenberry in the will, I don't know, whoever he wanted to put it. But <laughs> the family, I, I, my theory is the family was not part of it. Because if it was, yeah. you would have heard one thing he didn't write any song he the only song i ever heard about his family was a song called sister yes well that we know of that we know of but my point my point is is that if i have this theory that he had a will and that if you remember correctly and and i i hope i'm not speaking out of school because i heard a lot of things about that time because i know a lot of people that were working there at the time and they were saying that they did sweeps into that place they knocked that vault door down Within weeks. Yep. And all I'm saying is, doesn't that sound shady? So all I ask is that we just have a little bit of skepticism when you want to know who the people running the show is. What's the show? And well, if it's Warner Brothers, fine. If it's not one, if it's Universal, fine. If it's Spotify, fine. Whatever it is. But this argument that there is this one true leader. You know, I watched <laughs> this documentary about uh, Princess Diana, and the documentary is pretty good because his, his her two sons speak for pretty much the first time publicly, and in it, their job is to carry on her legacy. He doesn't have that. Mm. That that doesn't exist. What his well, sister? 
his true sister, his cousins, <laughs> his half brothers. Who, who who's this? And now all of a sudden, John Nelson's releasing an album. What? <laughs> yes. Look, with Warner Brothers at this point, or even at this point a year ago, I think I would have been more. Oh, what's the word? Safer? No. Supportive. Now I would feel more comfortable if Warner Brothers were running the show than the estate because they don't have this, you know, like obviously their goal is to make money. So they'd just be chucking out discs full of vault material, you know, whenever. But Mm -hmm. as it is now with the estate running things, it's all personal and it's all about personal gain that I can see what they're going to get out of, you know, that's why John L. Nelson's coming out. Because look, think about this. If John L. Nelson had a will and he left whatever he left, he left it to his remaining children who's to benefit from this album coming out them did you think about that i i I understand i i don't disagree i think that that's personal gain that could be the main reason this album is coming out is for them to get more money they can't access prince material as yet but they can release that that's like their only income right now apart from like the tours and and there's and there's tax bills and all these things and you know he left them in a in a certain situation i know a guy uh and i don't know if australia is differently but uh i know a guy i'm not giving his name out but his brother killed himself his brother had fifty thousand dollars in debt given that he had a will the brother inherited the debt yep and he filed for bankruptcy because he wasn't going to pay fifty thousand dollars. So he has a mm-hmm. bankruptcy on his record. You know, look, that's not that's not a crime. <laughs> you know what I mean? But he has, a especially bankruptcy. when it's not your bankruptcy, <laughs> right? But that's the thing; it's not his. And I understand that these these uh, Nelson folks. I mean, they, they all seem like nice people. I'm not judging them, but I don't have one sign that they were behind this whole thing and i think it's amazing that kirk johnson took a cruise right after it happened all i would want to know is what the hell i would love to sit down and talk to judith hill get him on get her on one of these Fakakta podcasts (laughs) i would love to know answers i would love to know those things i think we said this before but that's the difference now between you and me is i'm just over that i i don't care no 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 it's not look, I don't wake up every day, you know, yearning for these answers. I know, but you what, still what think, saying, well, I, it would be nice if we had an answer, but no, honestly, no, but, I'm just But I hear meh. Purple Rain Deluxe and I'm like, where did this come from? What what person goes to sleep and brushes their teeth and looks in the mirror and says, "Prince would not be hunting me down for putting we can fuck on an album." <laughs> but again, I don't think about those things at all. I do. All I, I can do. think is because as far as we know, Right now, nobody still has any access to the vault material. It's still being catalogued. So these tapes... How long does that take? There must have been a lot of stuff in there. But look, if they've only got one or two guys doing it, and they're only doing like nine to five, five days a week, it's going to take a damn long time. Is it interns? Is that an internship? (laughs) It could be unpaid interns doing it. Oh my God, talk about the legacy being looked after. Did you see here in that Jam number one. Jam number 473. (laughs) In that interview with that woman, uh, Ronchell, who uh, like I, I threw my support. If you listen to her speak, like you hear the whole story. And uh, yes, there are always two sides to every story, but this one sounds pretty damning. She wouldn't reveal how much money she made to be a tour guide, but she said you could make more at Burger King. I heard that. I just was like, oh, my God. And that's why I thought, you know, like, I love the different perspectives with all the podcasts that are out. They're so unique and they're all about the same thing, but they're all so different. I mean, you have one podcast that's talking about the issues and 
you know, my, my boy Doc, I'll, I'll say this about Funkenberry. He tries to be the voice of reason. And the only thing is, like, he did a great job of representing Prince's wishes. Like, there was no secret that that's what our show was based on. It was, you know, Prince was behind it. And the idea was, like, he would present these things from that purple point of view, so to speak. And now I think he's tr he's trying to do the same thing. And it's very difficult because who's the, the leader that he's following? You know, he does an amazing job yeah. with the people that he speaks to, you know, Scotty Baldwin and Dave Hampton. And, um, you know, you hear all these people. But when it comes to, uh, like, should he take Londell McMillan's side? I, I don't I don't think so. I don't and I don't think he has. You know, I, I, I just I find the whole thing fascinating and he makes a great point because he says you know support this kind of stuff because it's the only chance you'll ever get to get more releases and i just wonder if that's true i'm not saying he's wrong i'm saying you question everything like without yeah. without an estate without a, a will without a record deal without a record company that has it within its best interests why would there be a 20 track vault disc come out in like a year what would be the incentive who's who who who's to gain from that with those, like, and that's is... why I was behind my last point. Like, this is my, my my last point is that's why I was against I wasn't against Deliverance. Yeah, because <laughs> this is Sam Jennings' whole argument. Sam Jennings is the guy who created the the NPG Music Club website, and he created Prince Online Museum, and then he shut it down. He had a respect yep. for the family, and I'm thinking to myself, the family's not going to get it out. They're not going to let it go. That's that's so, my argument. But did they ask him to take it down, or he just did it? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I guess I guess they he was contacted and he took it down. That was one thing that I was talking to the Peach and Black guys about was like I didn't buy Purple Rain Deluxe because I had a copy that I listened to a bunch of times when we were writing our notes for the review. And the horrible quality of the remaster just, you know, if you knew something sounded bad, why would you buy it if you had a chance to listen to it before you bought it? So on that basis, I didn't buy it. Disc 2 is worth it, but it's not... Well, see, that's the thing. In, in Australia, it was a lot more expensive. It was actually like $75 for that full four-disc wow. set. Wow. It did come down a bit. Like, just when it came out, I think one store dropped it down to like 50 or 55 But still, it was only 25 or 30 Europe and the States. So, you know, for that amount of cash... For that horrible remaster, I just wasn't going to pay that money. And I said that in the show, I didn't buy it. And so if you're talking about, well, you've got to support this release because that'll tell them, you know, what what sort of market there is and that'll make them release more. I, I don't know. know. Because I remember Rob MC said one time... Whatever his name is. ...that even if... this Actually, this is before Prince even died. MC said something like, if Prince stopped recording music today, I would be happy because we have so much... All the albums, all or everything that we've got, it's enough. So if, you know, the estate or Warner Brothers want to look at the sales of Purple Rain Deluxe and go, oh, well, that didn't sell well, we'll just um, not put anything out. I'm sort of in that boat. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, we want to hear what's in the vault, but I'm not going to buy substandard shitty remasters yeah. to get access to the good stuff. That's, what is that? That's... There's a, there's a word for that. I can't think of what it is. It's like, yeah, buy this shit and then you'll get the better stuff later. That's that's not right. Well, but then there's the argument that 
There's the argument they think the remaster is actually good, but I doubt no, no, it. No, 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 but but wasn't it a coincidence that suddenly there were dozens of Prince tracks circulating on the internet? Oh, well, oh, there's something else we can talk about. But I mean, this, isn't that yeah. convenient? Isn't that convenient that it came out then? It's really, it's real. Again, how many times I can say interesting on a podcast, but it's re- it's really interesting. Like all these tracks that have been leaked from wherever they came from. They're collectors or whoever they are, ex-band members, tapes found in Warner Brothers' basement. Who knows where they came from? But every leak, every track that comes out, like there was just a release of like a whole bunch of a bootleg label. I'm not going to name it because I don't want people to find it and buy it. But wherever they got their tracks from, most of them are in great quality, like really good quality, better than anything that's been out there. So I don't see the estate having copies of those tracks, which are that much better. Sure, it might sound 5% better, 10% better. So what? If we've got all these tracks for free, every track that's been leaked now, that's money straight out of the estate pockets because they're just stuffing around with legal bullshit. We don't care about that. Like, I don't care. They can just, all this crap that's going on, we, you know, we don't care. We just want to hear the music. That's it. I don't care about all this legal crap that's going on. And I mostly, I'm not following it because I don't care. But we want to hear the music. But now all these tracks have come out. Like, I think it's four discs, eight discs. It's crazy. So if the estate then wants to put out a collection of outtakes from the vault, if we've already got, you know, three quarters of that material or even all of it, who's going to buy it? They're just shooting themselves in the foot by stuffing around. Right, they have this phrase in, in media. They call it a P1. A P1 is a person that will they will listen to your radio station if you turned off the music and put on static like they would still listen like, <laughs> that's how dedicated they are to that that station so the people that you're talking about the avid listeners to peach and black the people who go on the websites the people who subscribe to the tweets and the, all the you know they go on prince vault and the people who watch the spreecast and the people who listen to all the podcasts you know those people they're all p1s if they all have access to music that the general public doesn't know about <laughs> Who who's the target audience? You know, there's a there's an old adage, and this is a sports analogy as far as, far as marketing. You and your sports things. Yeah, the NHL <laughs> had the, the the NHL had this uh, this problem, uh, and here's the example: they used to have a marketing budget, and mm. they didn't know how to use it because they would spend money, and you know, for example, they would spend money on a national marketing budget. Well, spending money on ads for NHL hockey in Lincoln, Nebraska is useless. No one cares. <laughs> no one no one no one watching. What you should do is make sure that the people who love you get satisfied. For example, if you have and I'm just going to use a round number. If you have a million dollars in marketing money, right? Spread that m- marketing money to the teams that could use the marketing money. So make sure yeah. that people in Philadelphia love the Flyers and Detroit loves the Red Wings and New York loves the Rangers and, and so on and so on. And that's the argument for this. The argument is you're not trying to do a mass sale. You are not targeting Taylor Swift fans. You are targeting <laughs> Prince fans. If you're going to do something well, with Prince's music, it's for that. It's just like you don't you don't see mass marketing every time Jimi Hendrix released something after his death. No. Well, see, this is something that we started talking about was, was Purple Rain Deluxe release, was it for the fans or was it for the general public or was it? bit of both 50 50 and i think it was 50 50 
because so, you know Purple Rain, like especially in America, was probably or arguably his biggest album. So a lot of people, a lot of people, like not particularly fans, but just people who like, oh, I remember that. Oh yeah, I'll get that. So I think a lot of people would have bought Purple Rain Deluxe who aren't insane fans. They're just average. Oh, I saw that movie when it came out. Yeah, I'll get the soundtrack. Oh, it's remastered. Oh, wow. They don't think how disappointed they'll be afterwards, but I think a lot of non-hardcore fans would have bought Purple Rain Deluxe. But going forward, who knows what the target market will be because this Warner Brothers release was, as far as we know, a one-off thing. They had the remaster done by Joshua Welton. That's the only time that's happened. As far as we know, there aren't a whole bunch of remastered albums sitting anywhere by Joshua Welton, I hope. But that's was like that was like a one off release by Warner Brothers. It was a uh, What what has he done? Has he has he done anything? Since I don't think so. I, no, I'm, I I'm not I'm not mocking. I'm I'm just I'm wondering like I know um I, I think the one who's had the most success is uh is Liv Warfield. I mean she hooked on with the, the woman from Heart and they came up with a band and they've got an album and I mean that that Heart with the song Alone? I think so. That massive eighties power ballad, which is one of the best songs. Yeah, Nancy Wilson of Heart and Liv Warfield and Ryan Waters, who is uh, the guitar player. Uh, they, they, and and some of the heart musicians, they made a band. They call them Road Case Royale, and they had their first song, "Get Loud," and it's great. It's Get a Loud. So yeah, Jennifer yeah. Lopez cover is it? No, no, no. It's great. It's, <laughs> it's it's really good. I'm thrilled for her, and I'm and it's great. You know, it it made me laugh, and I can I can you know just say this, and I don't mean to speak out of school because for all I know, she listens to this kind of stuff. Uh, I know she listened to uh, Peach and Black. Jesus, no one's listening to this. There's like eight Prince, people listening to this show. As soon as Prince died, you see how hair, how long her hair got? Yeah, yeah. Right? You see how fast but, her, her hair got long? You see how quickly Andy Allo grew out the afro? Donna. Donna's undercut. Donna, Donna oh. Grantis looks like a different person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shelby stuck with the bald, but other than that. Imagine if she started growing her hair out straight away oh and just God. grew this big afro. Oh, man. That'd be hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be hysterical. I, I'm I'm thrilled for their success. You know, I went to see them in concert when they played in New York City, and I thought they were they were fantastic. You know, Liv and Shelby and, and Judith Hill, they all performed. It was an amazing show. It was really fun. It wasn't a print show. Didn't mm. didn't feel like a print show. And I'll say this: I went to the Revolution. You know, we did that podcast. I saw the Revolution. They were great. Didn't feel like a print show. It felt like he was missing. It's a different. Yeah. It's a different thing. It's a it's a different vibe now. It's, it's just, a post. It's, it's, Prince world. Right. That's what it is. Right. From now on, it's always going to be different. There's always going to be that one element that's not there. Yeah. Like, even if you go to a Liv Warfield show and it's it's just a Liv Warfield show, she might do like one Prince track or some reference, but it's not a Prince show. But still, in our brains, there's there's always going to be that something that's not that's not there. Because, right. I mean, that's where we know her from. Sure. Really. When I when, when, like when I saw them, they did uh, musicology. They did a couple. Of, they did mountains. You know what? I had a thought just this morning wow. because yeah, yeah. I had a thought. That's amazing. Right. NPG, I think, just finished their little their European tour, Europe, Europe, which Europe, seemed to right. be a great yeah. success. Yeah, it seemed like it. They played some big shows, like festivals and stuff, and like in Australia, mostly in Melbourne, we've had Andy Allo and uh, Shelby come down and. Paul Peterson, uh, Eric Leeds, they've all been down here lately. They haven't come to Sydney. But my thought was, 
because I read something about someone said a lot of these when they especially like that was mostly mostly referencing the NPG and it's like they're just a Prince covers band now and it's like well no they were the band that were there you know they and they co they wrote and co-wrote a lot of songs yep but and then but that sort of got me thinking yeah it is sort of a bit like that but it's not but it is just but because I, he's not there that's right. and I get the way that they're seeing it I sort of agree and I sort of don't agree without him there it is just a band I mean apart from the fact that it's the NPG it is just a band playing Prince tracks without him and I get that but then I think I mean if MPG came to Australia I'm there if the revolution come to Australia I'm there but all these other like associated people like they all went to Melbourne and I could have gone it's like a $50 flight it's not a big deal yeah yeah but then I thought do I even want to spend $50 on that and I'm like not really mm-hmm. it's just I've spent that much money going to actual Prince shows right. and now I'm just like I'm over I'm retired, I'm retired. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, I mean, I don't go to that many concerts these days anyway, but, you know. I was at a party. People. Yeah. yeah. I was at a party 10 days ago, and uh, I was asked not to really do too much on social media about it, but um, uh. it was a party hosted by the Major League Baseball Players Association, so it's a union. And um, I had heard this was going to happen, but around midnight, uh, Lenny Kravitz came out and performed like uh. five songs. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a you can fan. talk about it now that it's over, right? Right, it's over. You know, it was I just at the time. Right, we weren't yeah. supposed to tweet about it because then you know people would try to get in, and you know yeah. it, was a, it was an invite kind of thing. It was it was pretty cool. We, it, they did a good job, but it was cool to see. I'd seen him performed in different venues before. I think I saw him three times. I mean, I wound up seeing Prince twenty two, twenty two or twenty three times. Oh, that's more than me. What the hell? Yeah. Well, New York. I mean, musicology helped. Yeah. <laughs> It was like a you know a normal number, but then uh, had a lot of shows around the area. Yeah, three MSG, two New Jersey, one Philly, one DC, and it was like seven shows, and it was over like three months. And then um, I count, I saw him at um, Good Morning America when he did Get on the Boat. um, You know what? I was so close to going to that. uh, I think it was Penn State Musicology show. Mm -hmm. I think it was around the eighteenth, nineteenth of. April, I almost went. It was a great. But I ended up, but I ended up going to the the two North and South Carolina shows instead. Mm -hmm. But I was gonna go to like Philly and somewhere else. Yeah, Philly was great. That was in the heat of the NPG Music Club, so uh, you got Mm. you know great seats and you got to see sound checks and it was fun. It was it was really fun. And then in thirty one twenty one, I saw I saw one show in Vegas. And then I saw a bunch of the Welcome to America. I always say that the best musically he was was Welcome to America. I just thought Welcome to America and then, you know, Welcome to Australia also. You know, that that era, he was just, he was so in sync. And the band he had was Renato Neto and, and, and uh, John Blackwell. And he just, he was on point. And then he had brought in Elisa and, and Shelby and Liv, you know, to, to be backup singers. And, you know, they were doing disco beat. And uh, it's just. It was great. It was great. A great time. The thing with the, I mean, not counting the Diamonds and Pearl shows, but the other shows he did. Every other show he did in Australia was every tour was very unique. Yeah, very different from each other, right? Because because the 2003 shows he did here were sort of like they were halfway between One Night Alone and Musicology. It was a bit of both. Nobody else got those particular shows with those sort of set lists. And then you had the 2012 shows, which again were, they were, 
What were they? Again, apart from, I think, a couple shows in Chicago, which he did just after that Australian tour. Again, were like unique shows. They were different to the 2011 shows he was doing. And then just not long after that, he, he went into Third Eye Girl. Mm-hmm. And then, again, piano and microphone. Very he, different, yeah. Very unique to, you know, he only did a few more of those outside Australia, and that was it. So yeah, we've different. been lucky in that way that we've seen different things. Well, that's like people who, you know, they say that, you know, they lived in the best era when they saw the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. And, you know, there are people who say that they saw the best era. And there are, look, I have great respect for Springsteen fans. They're a dedicated, dedicated bunch. For U2 fans, they he packs it. Billy Joel has done a residency for three years now. I've read about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, we, and we it's, is that one. still going? Yeah, he still goes, and and we saw one, and I, you know, I said to my wife at the time, I just said, okay, we, we've done this, you know, like it, it's great, it, it's a great show, but when Prince would come to your town, it didn't matter if you had seen him twenty times before, you wanted to <laughs> yeah. see something new, and it, again, that's but not even, a. Slight. But even if you knew what the set list was going to be, like a lot of tours were pretty similar each night, night, you know, night to night set list were mostly the same, but you'd still go three nights in a row because there's always going to be something different. Even if it's just the way he performed or you could do it. Right. He said, yep. If you could do it and you could, you know, handle it financially, it was, it was worth it. It was totally worth it. And, and, uh, you know, and now looking back at it, the end, the last shows that I saw were the the city winery show, you know, when we did the Mm. the precast and the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. And he played until six 30 in the morning. But if you think about it now, he didn't move all that much. Mm. It's very wild to watch the evolution of his showmanship and to see how it slowed down towards the end. Not the not the panache, not the charisma, but the the movements. You know, you watch yeah. that Syracuse '85 show that you know was on the DVD, and then you oh, see insane, right? And then you go ten years later and just see the differences. You know, I just watched uh, The Undertaker, which is fantastic film. It, it's fantastic. I mean, it's, yep. it's great stuff. And then you see, you know, the, the differences there. And then you see what he was like in, in 99. And, and then you see where, you know, the Rainbow Children era and, and One Night Alone tour. And then you see how it just evolved. And, you know, it's a different set of music from 2002 to 2004 to 2006 to 2009 to 2011. Yeah. And then 2013. And then 2013, he changed. He grew the afro, and he started the the the, the female band, and he ch- and things changed. And who knows how long it was going to change again? You know, because we you you and I talked about it. We we thought Third Eye Girl was done. Yeah, he, he had kind of moved on, and you know I, that's why I love that the last album was a compilation of so many things that he had been working on. And I love that the last song is Big City because I had said when I saw it live at City Winery, I said that song's yeah. great. That's a great song, Big City Live. It's such a great song. It's such a, a feel-good song. And then that's it. Well, we don't know if technically if Third Eye Girl was done or not because, I mean, he'd moved on to the piano and microphone thing. But before that, he was doing stuff with Mono Neon and mm-hmm. a bunch of, you know, a different Adrian band. Yeah, yeah. So that might have been the next thing or that could have just gone in the vault and Third Eye Girl could have come back. You'd, who knows? You never know. And, but and... just going back to what you said before about you saw Billy Joel, and you're like, yeah. okay, that's done. I've seen it. I've seen it. Yeah, I, I don't need to go again. I, I loved it. I had a great time. I don't need to go again. <laughs> that's sort of how I felt. I saw Paul McCartney in London in 2003. At the time, I thought it was great, and I, it was still it was a great show. But I don't feel the need to go and see him again now because that was it was a massive show. It was like 
I think it was about three hours long. It was a massive show. But uh, I don't know. There was there was something about when he was singing like Hey Jude and like mm-hmm. certain songs. You know, to fans, when you're there, and like even though we've seen Prince sing Purple Rain a million times, the first time you saw it, the second time you saw it, no, it's, it, it's, it's it just blew you away, right? Right, and you would but never play I, that song. You would never play that song, but if he started playing it live, you'd be like. <gasps> But then when I saw Paul McCartney and he was doing these songs, which to a lot of fans have some sort of emotional connection, you know, I just didn't get any emotion from him on stage singing those songs. And I've, I've read in a few interviews that he's done after that, that he's like, well, I can't get too emotional because if I get caught up in the song, I won't be able to keep singing it, which is understandable. But you want to see something. You don't just want to see someone up there just reading words, showing no emotion. And that's sort of... Uh, dampened that concert for me a bit. Just the the lack of emotion. I don't know. It's weird. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. My uh, my favorite uh, Billy Joel story is actually not from this recent residency. It was over 20 years ago. I saw him at the Carry Dome in Syracuse, same place where that. Oh yeah, Syracuse. Syracuse. Yeah, that was the home. That's the home field and basketball court for. That's where I started my broadcasting career, and Ooh. in that building, and I didn't know about Syracuse '85 at the time. Uh, you know, again, and then in '92, I was I was learning. You know what I mean? I, I was I learned the Carrydome before I knew Syracuse '85 was Prince in the Revolution. But anyway, and I talked to people who were like ushers who worked that concert. You know, they worked there for ten years. They would cover '85 oh, yeah. to '92. But uh, in in '92, I saw Elton John and Billy Joel in two separate shows. And Elton John, I, I have an Elton John story. I'll tell you in a, in a second. But Billy Joel, you know, he's, a, he's known as the piano. He plays the piano all the time. There's He also plays the guitar. And there were a couple of songs. Really? He, I'll never he, say that. He took out a guitar and played a guitar. And he only did it for like one song. But he threw his guitar pit into the, into the section that we were at. And there were a bunch of people that dove down to grab it off the ground. Oh, and yeah. And a guy three seats away from me, this guy that lived in my dorm, this guy's name is Jim Lane. I'll never forget this. He goes, he goes, I got it. We're like, yeah, right on. Song ends. People clap. The lights come on. And all of a sudden he looks at the pick and it's dried up gum. <laughs> no, the Elton John story. I've seen oh, Elton John God. perform twice. Uh, I saw him at the Carrier Dome in Syracuse. Then I saw him at Madison Square Garden about four or five years ago. And he does, he, he's, a, he's an amazing performer. But we had a seven and a half hour drive, my family. We had my five-year-old in the car, my mother-in-law in the car. And I think going to, going to Maine, I would say of the seven and a half hours, I think four, I had Prince music. I had Montro 09. Uh, I had the Purple Rain Disc 2. And I had... Oh, I had um, uh, Lotus Flower. Like I had, I just had a, a, a random mix that I was listening to. But my mother-in-law, just she, after Purple Rain Disc Two, you know, she she heard a lot of screaming. She was just like, "Can we do softer?" So I played the Andy Allo <laughs> acoustic, Andy Allo acoustic album, The Weekend Love. Yeah. I played that. I played Esperanza Spalding, and then I played Elton John's Greatest Hits. And I did not realize he has that many hits. He has he has so many top ten. He probably has twenty five top ten hits, and they're all good. They're all catchy. They're all good songs. And he he's a he's a rock and roll hall of famer. There's no other way to describe it. And uh, he you know it, it, he's later on in his life. He doesn't he doesn't perform anymore. But again, I always say to to fans, what would Prince be like at seventy five? How old is he now? 
Elton John's in his 60s. Yeah. He's in. He's easily in his 60s. Paul McCartney's got to be 70. Yeah, I think he is. Right? I, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not knocking these guys when I'm saying that. Paul McCartney is 75 years old. There you go. Call that. And it's just, it's just, it's just. If it is in fact Paul McCartney and not his, he was replaced by a a clone all those years ago. Can't forget that. One last thing. Did you see uh, Tavis Smiley wrote a book? No. Tavis Smiley wrote a book. It is an investigative journalism book. It is not a memoir or anything like that. And it is about the last years of Michael Jackson's life. Ah. And in it, Tavis Smiley explains that he didn't have the relationship with Michael Jackson that he had with Prince. So he didn't know Michael Jackson. So everything that he was able to put in that book was from research, not from personal knowledge. Mm. It's an interesting thing. It talks about his you know, reliance on drugs. And it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing about you know, what those years were leading up to. And I, I just I highly recommend it. I wasn't a huge Michael Jackson fan, but I truly respect the music. Uh, oh, I was, I was a big Michael Jackson fan just before I got into Prince. Like, Dangerous Era. I was buying every single, every CD single, every remix maxi single of Michael Jackson, like from Dangerous that there was, and I've still got them. Did you ever see, and I always want this for, for Prince fans, did you ever see Spike Lee's two documentaries about Michael Jackson? Mm, was one of those to do with like the 25th thriller anniversary or no, something? No, 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 no. Spike Lee did full on documentaries about bad just the album Bad. Not not his life, not his death, not his... Just the album, children. yeah. Just one album. And then he did another one. It said, it's called Michael Jackson from Motown to Off the Wall. Ah, uh, yeah, I've heard the name of that. Oh, my God. These documentaries are incredible. And all I would say is you take a person like, like a Spike Lee and you have him do not Purple Rain. Enough with the fucking Purple Rain. <laughs> like, do 1999 or do a documentary on Sign of the Times. You know, a documentary on or 1999 do do- would oh be great. God. Oh, my because God. That's, because that's, you know, he's like semi-big, but it's before he was hugely big. That'd be a really interesting era if you could. But, oh, see, the thing with that is you're just going to get the same people that you've seen every interview of. It's going to be all the revolution members who go on these things. And do we really need to see all that again? Haven't they said everything there is to say? That was the thing I, I got involved in. If one you of focus them, more on the album and yeah, one of the not so much on the revolution them. members, I think would be the, the better thing be to cool. do. They can be sure they can be a part of it, but maybe at the most, maybe one third of the documentary. You want to you... talk to people like engineer, like yeah. again, is, is Susan Rogers being on everything as well, but engineers, recording people, stuff like that, and the actual songs and the making of the album, if you can get any sort of stuff about that. See, this is where, if you can get the participation of the estate at some point and get, like, earlier versions of songs and actual behind-the-scenes footage, if there is any from that era, that would make it a great documentary. But just don't call it, you know, The Road to Purple Rain. Just leave Purple Rain out of it. Just call it 1999. (laughs) Yep. I'm just saying, you know, yeah, just it, it's been we, we, we've we've gone through that era. I'm thrilled. To, it's a great era. There's I don't reckon part. they could res- they couldn't resist. I reckon they'd call it like the road to purple rain. They couldn't help themselves. You've seen that documentary uh, slave trade. I haven't. Everyone oh keeps God. telling me even you keep oh bringing it up. God. And I've I've actually got it on my computer. I still haven't watched it. It's it's so good. It's literally it takes you from post Purple Rain. It the, really the first subject is it it just explains his success. You know, saying how he became this megastar with Purple Rain, and then 
followed up with all these creative things, you know, sign of the times and whatever. And then all of a sudden he talks about Graffiti Bridge and then it gets into the commercial failure of Graffiti Bridge and how he needed a commercial hit because his contract was coming up. And so he mm. came up with Diamonds and Pearl and then the symbol album and then the fight. And it, it that's the whole thing. And the idea of the documentary is it shows the evolution about how Prince pioneered the new modern age of music. And it explains about how he came up with the musicology store days or weeks before the iTunes store. And it's just it's it's an amazing documentary. And I didn't see it, unfortunately, until his passing, but it doesn't have to do with that. And it ends with the creation of Third Eye Girl. It's, it's a great it's a great it's so much of the symbol. It's the whole it's the whole era of when at least I became the bigger, the biggest fan. Uh, I need to watch that. And there's two books I want to read. One is someone wrote a book about like the whole gold experience era. Oh, yes. It's a, com- it's wanna... a compilation of articles. It's I a... want to read that. It's a great and book. the new one coming out by this Dwayne Tudal guy who did like the whole Purple Rain yeah. era. Those there's are the two book books about... I want to read. There's another book that was written before he died about Purple Rain, which is called Let's Go Crazy. And uh-huh. it's, a, it's a great book about that era. And oh, the same about... guy? No, it's Alan Light. <laughs> <laughs> by that, you know, by that guy, Alan Light. Oh, that guy, yeah. Very nice, that very nice chap. <laughs> okay, we've run out of time because you know we've we've got to pay oh. bills. Well, all, all, all these great advertisements that have, that are. You oh, you want to hear? hear. A, you want to hear a positive print story? Oh, print story? no, I, I only listen to negative stories. Sorry. <laughs> the uh, the all the Major what? League Baseball All Star Game was uh, ten days ago in Miami, and uh, they have this media availability with all the players. And so I did ten podcasts for my Sports with Friends podcast with with Ooh. Major League Baseball players. And two of the people were on the Minnesota Twins. And this one guy, his name is Brandon Kinsler. He's a pitcher for the Minnesota Twins, made the all-star team. And uh, we got into a discussion and I mentioned to him that I have a connection to Prince. And I said, what's your opinion about the way the Twins have gone out of their way when there's really no responsibility to do it, but they've gone out of their way to honor him. And he said they should do something that's a bit of a rallying cry. And it's a great idea. The idea of the of the podcast was, for example, in Boston, in the seventh or eighth inning, there's nine innings in baseball, and in the seventh or eighth inning to rally the crowd for the the home stretch of the game, they play Neil Diamond's "Sweet Caroline," and the yeah. whole crowd chants it. It's just a tradition. It's just a thing. If you're at a they Minnesota want to change Twins that to game, a no, no, they don't want to change it. That's in Boston. I'm saying in Minnesota. Uh, yeah. In Minnesota, yeah. they should do. So, like, for example, the hockey team, whenever they score a goal, they play Let's Go Crazy. Whenever the Minnesota Vikings score a touchdown, they do Let's Go Crazy. And they needed something to be a rallying cry. And so I had a suggestion. I went on a Minnesota radio station. I had a suggestion. And the suggestion is take the Super Bowl performance and play the most part of Purple Rain, but end the end it with the minute, minute and a half of him doing the chant at the end with the guitar solo. Oh, uh, yeah. And get the whole get fifty thousand people doing that every night. Mm, that'll be good. Like, not don't play the movie. <laughs> you know, enough with this <laughs> not the movie. I I don't know. I just thought that was a pretty cool uh, thing going on. Anyway, That's a good idea. A cool story, and it was a a Minnesota Twins player that gave the idea. So is that happening, or that's just an idea? Well, he's got more influence than me. Hopefully, somebody at the Twins heard the podcast, and we'll see. I mean, uh-huh. I don't I don't think it's going to happen for this season, but maybe for next year. Uh, good idea. Got, got nothing but time. Well, that's all the time we've got now. So, again, you're the same guest for like at least, I think, three shows now. 
What's going well, on? I'm just waiting you for me to, to just say I'm the co-host and we don't need to have a guest. <laughs> oh, I want it on my resume happen. that I I will put on the top of my resume that I am the co-host of the Captain Says Podcast. That, that'll get you a lot of jobs. A lot. Of, a lot. A, a, lot of, a lot of looks. <laughs> People will be like, huh? What? Yay. Okay. I'll see you next time. See you next time. In the future. Yeah. Here's some theme music. One, two, three, four.